Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Good morning on this beautiful Lord's Day. And it's a joy that we can gather together. And this is an important, serious day in the life of our church. But that doesn't mean that we can't take a few moments to enjoy some holy humor. So I'd like to give you something to enjoy here for a few minutes. An impassioned minister was visiting a country church and began his address with a stirring reminder, everybody in this parish is going to die. The evangelist was discomfited to notice a man in the front pew who was smiling broadly. Why are you so amused, he asked. I'm not in this parish, replied the man. I'm, I'm just visiting my sister for the weekend. <laughs> and a Texan was visiting England on vacation. While there, he attended a religious service and was amazed at how quiet and reserved it was. Not one word was spoken out of turn. All of a sudden, he heard the minister say something that he really liked. Amen, he shouted. Everyone in the church turned and stared, and the usher came running down the aisle. You must not talk out loud, admonished the usher. But, protested the Texan, I've got religion. Well, said the usher, you did not get it here. A Sunday school teacher asked her class, does anyone here know what we mean by sins of omission? A small girl replied, aren't those the sins we should have committed but didn't? <laughs> and occasionally I, I rib pastors and the chaplains not here yet, but I especially like to rib chaplains about long sermons. And I'm not alone. A little girl became restless as the preacher's sermon dragged on and on. Finally, she leaned over to her mother and whispered, Mommy, if we give him the money now, will he let us go? <laughs> and Mark Twain had a similar observation about long sermons. Many years ago in Hartford, we all went to church one hot, sweltering night to hear the annual report of Mr. Hall, a city missionary who went on around finding people who needed help and didn't want to ask for it. He told of the life in cellars where poverty resided. He gave instances of the heroism and devotion of the poor. When a man with millions gives, he said, we make a great deal of noise. It's a noise in the wrong place for it's the widow's might that counts. Will Hawley worked me up to a great pitch. I could hardly wait for him to get through. I had $400 in my pocket. I wanted to give that and borrow more to give. You could see the greenbacks in every eye. But instead of passing the plate then, he kept on talking and talking and talking. And it grew hotter and hotter and hotter. And we grew sleepier and sleepier and sleepier. My enthusiasm went down, down, $100 at a clip, until finally when the plate did come around, I stole 10 cents out of it. 
<clears throat> and I found some Presbyterian humor. If you can believe there's such a thing. In a speech in 1902, Mark Twain had something to say about Presbyterians. The speech is called, I've Tried to Do Good. And Twain, if you've ever studied anything about Twain, he had some strange beliefs about his religion. A lot of funny things, but some strange beliefs. But he said, we were good Presbyterian boys when the weather was doubtful. When it was fair, we did wander a little from the fold. And Hook Finn had something to say about Presbyterians too. This is from Huck Finn and Tom Sawyer Abroad. I didn't know there was a book, Tom Sawyer Abroad. So this is Huck Finn talking to Tom, or Tom talking to Huck. They was all Muslims, Tom said. And when I asked him what a Muslim was, he said it was a person that wasn't a Presbyterian. So there's plenty of them in Missouri, though I didn't know it before. And then uh, another quote from children who say such wonderful things sometimes. This lady sent in this story. My six-year-old son and I were waiting at the curb across the street on the way home from Sunday school. The cars were speeding by. Dean looked up and asked, don't these people know that Presbyterians have the right of way? One of my favorite Twain quotes. We call this holy humor necessarily. But this is a Mark Twain on fathers. Talking about fathers. And this is an encouragement for those of you who either have teenagers or have teenagers to be. Twain says, When I was a boy of 14, my father was so ignorant I could hardly stand to have the old man around. But when I got to be 21, I was astonished at how much he had learned in seven years. <laughs> and one more. And this actually relates to our lesson today. One of the comics in the paper is a comic strip called Pearls Before Swine. You know where that title comes from, Pearls Before Swine. Jesus in Matthew 7. So there's these two characters. One's a rat, and I'm not sure what the other one was. I think it's like a goat or something. And the rat says, I've started reading the Bible a little bit every day. And the other character says, Do you read it in any certain order? And the rat says, Yeah. I seek out the parts that let me judge others and avoid anything that makes me feel bad. Then he says, is there any other way to read the Bible? And the good just kind of looks like that. <coughs> so, with that, let's go to our Yeah, that, that, that is very relevant to the chapter on um, doctrine. Mm -hmm. very relevant, yeah. And today, as we will say. Yeah. Yeah. 
If you all got a uh, handout, I'd like us to sing Help From a Foundation. If you would please, let's stand and sing together. Lord, thank you for giving us this day. Thank you that we are your people and that we can gather to study your word, sing your praises. We pray that you would bless our time as we consider this lesson and the discussion that will follow. Please help us to learn to love you more and to understand your truth in a stronger way. We pray that you bless this time. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Thank you. just the importance of doctrine in our own lives as Christians, Bible-believing Orthodox Christians, but especially the comparison of doctrine or the lack of doctrine with the topic of what Machen referring to as liberalism. Um, and we'll go in a lot of detail in review, but can any of you remember what the sort of main difference was between if you want to call it the conservative orthodox view of doctrine versus what he described as the liberal view of doctrine. He actually sums it up in, in the chapter before doctrine. If I can find it, I'll read it to you. We're not really talking about defining doctrine. I mean, I think we have a basic understanding of what, what doctrine is, but his point was to contrast what the more orthodox, the importance of doctrine to the more orthodox Christians versus those who are not. So the uh, importance is uh, the liberal theology of the time and today is going uh, how a person feels their experience yes. regarding the, the religious experience versus what uh, precepts are put forth by your, uh, your you want to call it a sect or your, your, your say you can't use religion to define it, but your uh, denomination that then uh, you adhere to as a, as a as a guiding set forth your values, morals, judgments, things like that to hold up against versus your experiential. Uh, <coughs> feelings right. in your worship. Yes. Uh, that, 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 that's a very good summary. Uh, Orthodox views 
recognize the historicity um, and, and he'll go into the three uh, ways that we um, have revelation concerning um, God's truth um, versus the more intangible feeling sort of approach. Can, says, I, can I just add, he hmm. says that what Christians really prize taking, you know, after, after experiencing with the liberals the beauty of Jesus' life and ministry is the message. And the message is inseparable from doctrine. The message is the beginning of doctrine. Well, that's what we believe. Yeah. But what they do is they take Jesus' teachings um, and contrast that with what they say Paul is responsible for doctrine. And the beauty of Christianity is the moral teachings of Jesus and the experience that, that we can have. Right, and Machen would say, good, then we're all together. Then that leaves them at the same place the apostles were between the crucifixion and the resurrection. Because that was all then. And to, to be... And to make it relevant for us today, we have to believe in the resurrection. Well, I mean, Paul makes it pretty clear that if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then we're, we're right. just playing games. I mean, that's, I'm just saying and, yeah, just right. how, how Machen explained it right, right. day. And if you remember, I mean, it's, it's, it's really astounding. We, we've seen this all along, and, and we'll continue to see it you know, in these specific lessons on certain doctrines. But he was saying this a hundred years ago, literally a yeah. hundred years ago, and it could not be more current than it is now. And we don't need to get off on this now, but just think about the issues, not just cultural issues, but within the churches, um, and how directly it relates to what you just said. You know, our own interpretation, our own feelings, what we feel like is right, moral aspect of it, as opposed to what scripture plainly teaches. So, I mean, that's, I think, a pretty good summary of that. But the lesson today is on God and man. Um, starts getting into specifics. Uh, you have notes there on the back. Let's watch this lesson and then we'll talk about it afterwards. good was his explanation and delineation of general revelation and special revelation. Um, of course, what, what nature reveals about God as creator, <clears throat> partic but particularly uh, the discussion about the moral law uh, and what he was saying about how 
problem of pain and suffering and evil is often brought up as an argument against God. If God is good, why does he allow that stuff? Um, what did you think about how he presented that as a way to actually turn that argument around? Well, I've heard that a million times, but I remember the first time I heard it, it blew my mind. It's completely illogical to talk about evil and pain and suffering if you don't accept a priori that there is a moral, an absolute moral law. You're saying the first time you heard that, that it was illogical to you? Huh? You said it was illogical to no, you. No, it blew my mind that it, that it's illogical to talk to, to complain about evil and okay. suffering um, unless you first... Yeah. Without first admitting that there, there is an actual category of absolute right and wrong, which presupposes God. Right. So before then, when you heard that argument, you thought it was a logical argument. If God is good, why is there any it suffering? Gave me a lot of, it gave me a lot to think about. It. Yeah. Because, I mean, that's obviously the predominant argument. It absolves you. Yeah. Why is something bad? Right. Yeah. Well, God, God doesn't exist, yeah. so therefore, yeah, I don't have to think about good and bad necessarily because there's evil in the world. I mean, there are hard things. There are things that we can't understand. But, yeah. Right. And, and we, see, we don't know. I kind of paid my taxes. Right. I kind of. I didn't. I've never really lied. You know, things like that. But is that true? <laughs> what kind? Of? <laughs> no. The point is, is that. Like you said, if you really analyze that, because that's one of the strongest arguments out there you know, that people make. Well, if God is good and if he's all-powerful, then why does he allow bad things to happen? You know, just look at the last couple of weeks where all has been happening you know, in the world. How, how can a good God allow that to happen? Now, you know, we, we can't explain God's ways. He doesn't have to explain everything to us. But the point is, is that there is built into us I mean, how many of us as parents could understand what he was saying about what children say? That's not fair. Where does that come from? You know, an innate sense of justice. So where does that innate sense of justice, even though that can be corrupted, you know, somewhat. But the point is, is that there's something built into us that knows when something is right or wrong. You know, I've heard the argument of, you know, a lot of people who, you know, want to be soft on criminals and so on, you know, make their good arguments until their wallet is stolen. And then, you know, it's time to do something. Um, but there's an innate sense of justice there. And so where does that come from? I, I just thought that was very good. Um, Towards the end, when he started talking about the awesomeness of God, his transcendence, and his imminence, and I, I put this up here because it's kind of a confusing word, because uh, there are three of them that sound alike. Um, what, what does the talking mean? Would you please explain that to me, your imminence? Is it a noun in a high place? It just means. You know, someone very important. You know, you've heard. A rocky eminence. Excuse me? A rocky promontory. Maybe it's an eminent promontory. 
Yeah. And then what about the second one? Imminence. If something is imminent, the bill is going to ring. It's imminent that the bill is going to ring in about five minutes. But you're on the second one. Huh? Imminence of two M's. Yeah. Okay, that's not happening immediately. No, that's that's like eminence in the, in the title of your eminence. That's what the first one is. Okay. So the telephone ring is eminent with two M's? But the point is, is that it's the third one that we're talking about. And it's not the fourth one. I just want to make clear. Correct me if I'm wrong. You could be wrong. <laughs> but the point is, is that I thought that was a very significant discussion in the difference between liberalism, as he's <coughs> calling it, versus orthodox true Christianity that understanding of God's presence. I mean, what, what, is, what is the implication of God's transcendence to us as individuals? What, what does that imply? We're not God. It's greater than us. Yeah. There is God and we're not. He's the creator. We're the creature. And that means... We're accountable, right? Did I get it wrong? It's okay. You can all look at it. Versus eminence, which I'm pretty sure I spelled that one right, the third one, meaning permeating. And that gets back to what we were saying before about the, the Christian experience from that point of view is like feeling. And, and he, he, he contrasted that sense of if all God is is imminent, that's very ambiguous. You, you can decide what that means. I mean, look, look at all the arguments out there now, not just culturally, but within churches on the sexual issues. That's all based on feeling and what we want to be not based on God's transcendence who has given us his special revelation and has told us the way it is. I mean, that is really from a, a very broad perspective what, what the debate boils down to. And you just kind of work that down to the specific <clears throat> issues that you're dealing with. I see what you did. The second one should be an I. Okay, imminent with two M's refers, as you said, to the telephone call. Something about to happen. But that's I M N. And then imminent, I M N I. The I M N A means inherent. After this class, we will confer and we will have the correct answer. You have to change the second one to an I. First letter to an I. Honey, that's what I do. Thank you. Any questions about the fork? We don't. <laughs> Are there any? 
tax member should. She may have some in her basket. Under seven minutes. Okay. All right. But well, what other um, points from this lesson? That really caught your attention. I like it was good to think about awful and awesome, full of all should cause us to tremble. Words get so distorted by colloquialism, don't they? That's a beautiful sense of the word all, right? But I wish we could. Yeah. Uh, there will be a day when every one of us will experience that. Yeah. It's the same terrible. Mm -hmm. yes. Right. Right. Terrible. Right. And the good part is, is that when we believe, it'll be a wonderful experience. Yes. And for those who don't, it will be an awful experience. he made, he, he called it rational theism. Um, and, you know, we Presbyterians are probably among the best at this, of trying to think through things, sharpen our theology, sharpen our doctrine. Um, I mean, I heard you and Johnny talking about it for Sunday school, doctrinal thing. You know, and, and it's good, it's good to do that. Um, but, if we understood everything that God does, what would that imply? That we would be the same as God. Or above him. Or above him, yeah. I have a pottery example I made of a mold for the sole purpose of letting it dry so I could break it. So that I can show it as an example of in the bone dry process, you know, why it's we have to be so careful when we hold that because look how quick it's easy to break. And I broke it recently showing doing a dem demonstration and the lady who I showed it to just was like, stop, why'd you do that? I said, well, I made it for the sole purpose of breaking it so you can see. And so that was my choice. And that's the purpose of that particular pot. So it goes to the same. It's an analogy of God with 
who he chooses and who he doesn't choose and whatever. Yeah, but but yeah, but that, that's, that, that's true. Choice. It's not Joan's question course. gets to you know how how much can we understand? How, where's the limit of our understanding? You know, some of us uh, you know goes further than others, particularly with spelling. Um, but, uh, but but none of us decide that. Well, no. I mean, some may call that a cop out, but I mean, it is. It should be. Um, but I think the thing we just have to be careful about is not to let issues like that cause us to doubt God's goodness, because. There's so many infinite reasons that he's shown that he is good and loving. He doesn't have to explain everything to us. And we just have to accept it. What is it that, remember that momism video that we play on Mother's Day sometimes? What does she say? Because I said so. Because I said so. Because I said so. So anyhow, I mean, you know, it's it, it, it's good, and you know, we we are a, a people who are trying to understand, and I mean that helps us, and we could should continue to do that. Just limits. Any final thoughts? Lord, thank you for the, the good lesson that we just had, for the clear teaching that Dr. Nichols is giving on these important topics. Lord, please help us to continue to be like the Bereans, to search your word, to understand, but also to trust you. Lord, we pray that you would be with us now as we go into our time of worship. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you.